0: Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. As we make the crossover between Lent and Holy Week, we find ourselves gathering with Jesus as he celebrates his final Passover meal with his disciples. Our senior pastor, the Reverend Dr. Jared Ott, preaches on this moment in Jesus' life, which we now know as the Last Supper. Here is Pastor Jared with our Monday-Thursday message. Thank you for listening. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you that we can sing that song, Carry to the Table. Lord, we thank you for what you did on the night before you died, the night before your suffering, where you came and you broke bread, poured out wine with your disciples. And Lord, that you taught us that it's a, it's a new covenant, your body being broken, your blood poured out for us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you love us and you never let us go. Lord, we thank you for the significance of that evening. Lord, as we come here this evening in that same spirit, Lord, help us to reflect on what you have done on the cross. As we come together in a moment to take communion as a family, we remember that your body did break and your blood did shed for us. So we thank you. Be with us now, Lord, as we look at that feast, as we look at the significance of it. Lord, I pray that you impress upon us the message you want us to hear. Lord, that you speak through me, that my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart. And Lord, that we, as we leave this place, we aren't just hearers of the word, but we'll be doers of it as well. And Lord, as we come back tomorrow evening, remember and reflect on the seven words that you spoke on the cross. Lord, help us to impact our lives and the lives of those who may not know you. We thank you. Thank you for this evening. Be with us in the moments ahead, and I ask all this in your precious name. Amen. Well, good evening. We are here on this Monday, Thursday. It's a little bit different of a service. And as you see here, this table is set up a little bit differently than you may have seen it before. We have real food on this table. And uh, one of the things that we're going to look at here is the Last Supper, the Passover. You know, we celebrate the Passover every month here at Christ Church. And for some of us, it's, it's just a tradition. It's just what you do. We look forward to it. And I know that there's many people who don't have the opportunity to come take communion. And it's significant enough that they'll call and ask that we come to their house and present communion to them, in which we do. But one of the things, though, I think it's fitting for this evening as we are here on this Monday, Thursday, the night before Christ's suffering death on the cross, is that he did, take, uh, did have um, a feast with his disciples. And it's important for us to look at that feast so we understand it. So that when we come to communion once a month, that we will realize the significance of what happened there on that evening. So one of the things that you're going to see tonight, and we're going to talk through it, this is a little bit more of a teaching than a preaching, but I'm going to talk to you a little bit about some of the significance. Now, I have to preface this by saying I am not a rabbi, okay? I uh, got a B-minus in Hebrew as well, okay? So please do not write me notes saying that I pronounced or mispronounced things or didn't say things correctly. What I'm going to try to do this evening is give you a 30,000 foot view of the Passover feast. So you can get the significance of what happened there that evening. And understand and apply it to our own lives as we come to communion every month here at Christ Church. And to order to understand this, we have to set this up a little bit. We have to work backwards a little bit so you understand what's happening. So that when you come, and this is my hope and prayer, that when you come this evening, that communion, the Lord's Supper will mean even more to you. You will understand the significance of it in an even bigger way than maybe you've ever recognized it before. That it won't just become a tradition. That it will be something that you partake of and realizing you are partaking of something that is special and powerful. The Lord commands us to do this. And so we do this not out of tradition, we do this because we are really remembering Christ's death and resurrection. So I'm going to give you a little bit of history here, we're going to back up a little bit. You know, when it comes to the Jewish uh, calendar, there are many Jewish feasts, you have to realize, uh, throughout the year. There still are. And while there's many holidays throughout the Jewish calendar, there are about seven feasts. That happen and occur. Seven feasts. One of them is the Passover, and I have a graphic you'll see here right now. There is about four, uh, four of, excuse me, four of these fall in the springtime. About three of them fall in the fall. Okay. So there are the feasts. The first one, as we're going to talk here this evening, is the feast of the Passover. We see this from Leviticus 23. Now, you've got to understand the Jewish calendar is based on a lunar calendar, the phases of the moon. Each month starts with a new moon, reaching a full moon uh, in the midst of a 28-day cycle. The Passover always fell on a full moon, the first full moon of spring, usually April. That's why Easter moves every year. Some people ask, why does Easter move every year? Because it's based on a lunar calendar, the moon, how it moves. And so next year, it's going to be very late in April. That's the Passover. And the Passover feast was really a, a remembrance of the Hebrews' deliverance out of uh, the, the hand, the bondage um, under Pharaoh and the, and the Egyptians. If you remember that, where, where Moses came and they put blood on the door frames and the, and the angel passed over those houses and didn't kill the firstborn. We're going to come back to that in in a minute. But that's what the Passover feast is. That's the feast that we're looking at here this evening. Then you have the second one there is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This follows the Feast of the Passover right away. It's actually the next day. It's the next night. And God told the Jewish people to eat the unleavened bread, the pure unleavened bread during the week of the Passover. You have to understand when they left quickly during the exodus, they didn't have time to have the bread rise, so they ate unleavened bread. And the unleavened bread, the feast of the unleavened bread occurs the next day. And actually, leavened bread typically symbolizes sin and evil in the Bible. Then you have, you see there, the, the Feast of the First Fruits. That actually happens on a Sunday. This is the Sunday following Unleavened Bread. God wanted to have a special feast uh, during which the Jews could acknowledge the fertility in the land. And what they would do is they would all bring in their early crops, their first fruit, and present them to the, to the temple, and they would wave them to the Lord on behalf. This was done on the, what they call the morrow of the Sabbath. Since the Feast of the Unleavened Bread was seven days long, you have to understand the Feast of the First Fruits always occurred on a Sunday. Then, as you move a little bit later, then you have the feast of Pentecost. God gave specific numbers from counting the days from the feast of harvest or the feast of first fruits to the Pentecost. Those are fifty days. Okay. Now, Jesus rejoined the disciples after his resurrection, after forty days, and said, You need to wait here until the Holy Spirit would come, and he did in Acts 2 1 at what? Pentecost. So now we have Pentecost. Then you see we, we take a little bit of a break for the Jewish people. They have a little bit of a break. And then the next one happens, the Feast of the Trumpets. That's when uh, this usually happens in the beginning of December. It's the first month they had a memorial. And what would happen? The trumpet would blow and a signal. And all the field, the people in the field would stop working. And they would go to the temple for worship. That's the, the feast. Excuse me. That's the feast of the trumpets. Then you have the Feast of the Atonement. Now this is the most holy day of the year for the Jewish people. Still is. This is the day when the, the high priest of Israel would go into the Holy of Holies, and he would make a sacrifice on behalf of himself and of Israel. And if he didn't, and if the Jewish people didn't have a sacrificial uh, lamb at that time, they would sacrifice hundreds of thousands of lambs on the Day of Atonement, and blood would just flow down the, into the valley for, for days on end because of how much blood was shed. That's the, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Atonement. In fact, uh, side note, the Feast of Atonement is how we arrive at the date and time of Jesus' birth. People want to know, how do we get to December 25th? And we base that off of the, the Day of the T- Atonement. How do we know that? Well, we know that because in Luke, if you remember the story of Zechariah, Zechariah is the, the high priest, the Holy of Holies. And he goes into the Holy of Holies, and he's married to Elizabeth. And they are the parents of John the Baptist. And in the Holy of Holies, in the Day of Atonement, God comes and tells Zachariah that he is going to have a son. He's going to name him John the Baptist. Then we see later in Luke, Luke chapter 1, verse 26, it says, in the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Jesus shows up to Mary. So if we look at six months and then nine months of being pregnant, that means that, that Jesus came 15 months after the Day of Atonement. If the Day of Atonement is in September, 15 months later is what? December 20th. 25th. That's how, they get to, that's how they get to Christ's birth, the day of atonement. And then you have the Feast of the, uh, the Tabernacles. This is the 15th day of the seventh month, and the Jews would build shelters outside their houses, houses and, and worship at that time. And that was the symbolizing of God providing shelter for them in the time when they were traveling throughout uh, the wilderness. Those are the seven feasts. Now, I'm going to show you another graphic. It's really hard to see, but it's okay. Because one of the things that that we don't have time to really unpack here, uh, but many people would say that those seven feasts are really a, a... Looking at the New Testament and Christianity, they follow a certain pattern. That the Passover is Jesus' death, the unleavened bread is his burial, the first fruits is his resurrection. Jesus says, I am the first fruits. Then you have Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Then you have a long break. And then many would say that the trumpets that sound, that's the tribulation, the return of Jesus. The Day of Atonement is the atonement. And then the Feast of the Booth was the coming of Jesus. Now, we are not have time to unpack that here. But understand that each one of those feasts has Significance. each one of those feasts has significance for the sake of this evening what we're looking at is the feast of the Passover now as mentioned the feast of the Passover if you remember it was the time of the Exodus Moses was there and you remember the story uh, God shows up to Moses at the, what, the burning bush and says, you need to go to Pharaoh. And you need to tell him to let my people go. So Moses goes. And what does he say? Let my people go, Pharaoh, uh, he says. And Pharaoh says, okay. And what happens? It doesn't happen and a plague comes, right? So there's ten plagues. Remember the ten plagues. And then what happens is at the very end, the very end, God says, hey, listen. What, we're gonna, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to kill all the firstborn." Of, of the Pharaoh's people. But what you need to tell the Israelites is you need to put blood on the doorpost so the angel of death will pass over that house so that the angel of death does not kill with the firstborn in that household. That's where we get the term Passover. The angel of death passed over the house. Now, you have to understand that was a significant time for the Israelites, the Jewish people, leaving that time. And so what they do every year is they have a time of, of celebrating that, 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 that saving of God who came and saved them and said, listen, I'm never going to let you go. I'm never going to um, uh, take you out of my sight. I'm going to save you, and I'm going to lead you into the promised land. That's the Passover. Now, the Jewish people have been practicing this, this feast, For a long time. In fact when we get to the New Testament. When Christ is with the disciples. You have to understand. The Exodus was 1400 years earlier. So that would be like us in today's culture. Saying that we are going to do the same thing. Every year the same way. Since the year like 618. Every year. And that's where we get. We come to the passage this evening. You know Mark 14.12. It says this. It says on the first day of the feast of unleavened bread when it was customary to, what, sacrifice the Passover lamb. Jesus' disciples asked him, where where do you want us to go and make preparations to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters. Teacher asks, where is my guest room? Where, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready, make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went to the city, and found things just as Jesus told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. So here we go. The disciples knew exactly what needed to happen at the Passover. That's why they said to Jesus, where do you want to go and make preparations? Because you do the same thing every year for 1,400 years. You kind of get used to the same thing happening, right? If we did something for 1400 years here in America, we would get used to it being a certain way, wouldn't we? You get the right food. I think of, the only tradition I can think of that's only been around maybe a few hundred years is what, Thanksgiving, right? You prepare the turkey, the mashed potatoes. It would be very strange to invite some folks over for Thanksgiving meal, and it's time for Thanksgiving meal, and you bring out tacos and Kung Pao chicken, right? You wouldn't do that. You prepare it a certain way. That's why the disciples knew exactly what was going on. They knew everything about this meal because it's been celebrated for 1,400 years. And Jesus, on that night, changed it all. Jesus changed it all. See, everything was prepared from the plate to the timing to what you say at each, uh, at each juncture in the meal. Notice even in verse 18, it says, while they were reclining at the table eating, you even sat a certain way to eat this meal. I'm standing, but normally you would lean on your left side and eat this meal. Why? Because only free people, only kings would be able to lean freely and eat. And so the idea is that they are free people eating this meal. So they're reclining while they're eating. And now we come to the, the meal. So Jesus is there with his disciples, and the meal is set. The table is all set. Now there's a number of different things that happen at this meal. I'm going to bring them up on the screen. Again, forgive the uh, translation of some of these, or excuse me, the enunciation of some of these. But here's some of the major things that happen. The first one is the Kadesh. It's called the benediction. What would happen is the service begins with the, the recitation of, of the Kadesh, proclaiming the holiness of the holiday. And what would happen was you would hold up one of the four cups. There are four cups on the table. And while drinking, you would hold it up and you would say the benediction. Then what would happen was, would be what they call the erkats, which is the, the washing. What you would do is you would wash a certain way as it's done before a meal. It was done in a custom customized way. And so you would, you would say the benediction and then you would do a washing. And then you would move to the appetizer. Now the appetizer isn't what we think of appetizers. In fact, I don't think it's very appetizing at all. It's called a karpas. And the karpas was what they, this kind of greenish vegetable. It was like a celery or parsley, and it looked like this. And what it did was, the idea was, is you would have this greenery at the table. And what it meant was, it meant new life. Because greenery, uh, the resurgence of life at springtime. And what you would do is, you would take uh, this cup, and this cup is full of salt water. And what the Jewish people would do is, they would dip this appetizer, they would dip this appetizer, or the karpas, in the salt water, and they'd let it drip. And what the idea was is that the salt water was the idea of the, the tears of the suffering of the people as they moved from slavery to freedom. That's the karpas. Then you'd have the matzah. That's the unleavened bread, and there would be always be three matzahs here. Again, we talked about the unleavened bread that they didn't have time to uh, let the bread rise, and so they would have the matzah. And then what they would have is they would have the breaking of the matzah. Now this was important as well. There was always three stacked here, and what they would do is they would take the middle. They would take the middle. Uh, matzah, and they would call it the yukats. And what they would do is they'd break it. Okay? And they'd put one piece back here. And then what they would do is they would take this other piece and hide it. They would hide it till after the meal. And we'll kind of come to that uh, at the end. They would take it and they would hide it there. Then at that time, what you would do is you would have the, the Magid, which is the reciting of the Haggadah. Okay? Well, what would happen is, as soon as that was broken, a child at the table would say in Hebrew, "Ma nishta ala heze mekol which means, "Why is this night different from all other nights? Why only the matzah? Why the drinking? Why the bitter herbs? Why are we relaxing and reclining as kings?" And then what would happen is the father of the household would read the Haggadah. The Haggadah is the reciting of, the, of what happened in Exodus chapter 6. So the father would get up and read Exodus chapter 6 where they left and were, were heading out into the wilderness where Moses led them out into the wilderness. Also on the table is they would have the Maor. Which is the the bitter herbs. They also called it the the chazeret, the bitter herbs. This is right here and it's very bitter. It's usually horseradish or romaine lettuce, and it represented the bitterness of slavery that the that the Israelites had under the Egyptians. And then you would have this special thing here. This is called the Chazeret, it's the apples or nuts. Okay? It's a sweet mixture. And what they would put is they would put apples and nuts. And they would also put wine and grape juice. And they would stick it together. And it would be kind of this, this stickiness. And the idea of this was this was the, the mortar that the Israelites would use um, for the bricks. And what they would do is they, they would have to make their own mortar, make their own bricks, as Pharaoh said. And they would be building part of Pharaoh's kingdom. And then he always had an egg. The egg on the, tab- the table. This is the, called the bayitzah. The bayitza. It was a hard-boiled egg, it's roasted, and it's a reminder of the destruction, the, the reminder of the destruction of the temple. The Jews began to associate the egg with the loss of the temple, and the egg is a reminder for us to mourn the suffering, the suffering of the, under their own people, under bondage. Then you had this, the zaora, or the meat. This meat was the representative of the, of the Passover lamb that was sacrificed at Passover, then you'd have the what they call the afikomen. Well, what they would do after dinner is they would take this bread and they would hold it up and they would bring it out of hiding, okay? They would bring it out of hiding. And they would eat this bread as, as part of the dessert. And then there was the barak, the barak, excuse me. That was the blessing after the meal. What they would do is they would take the third cup, so you've already drank in two cups, then they would take the third cup, okay? They would take the third cup, and afterwards they would they would say grace. They recited the blessing over the wine and drink the third cup, and then they would sing the Hallel, which is the songs of praise. We just read about that in the in the passage. They would they would sing to the Almighty God because of His guidance of the Jewish people out of the land. And then there were the, finally they'd end with the the what they call the nertza, which is the acceptance. What would happen was the head of the household would get up, and in Hebrew he would say Lashinab Haba which means next year in Jerusalem so the idea would be to say we've blessed this, we did this properly we did it in the proper order they would drink the last cup of wine and then they would go out but it was done in the exact order every single year you could see there that this meal wasn't probably something everybody looked forward to necessarily it didn't, doesn't look very appealing to me but you did it in the exact order that it came. You, you, you don't change it. But one of the things that's unique is these four cups of wine. Now a lot of people talked about what the four cups of wine always at the Passover feast represent. A lot of people talk about different stuff that they would represent. Some people talked about how it was Pharaoh, how they were liberated from Pharaoh's four evil decrees. Slavery, the order of all the males, uh, the Hebrew midwives, the drowning of the Hebrew boys, and the decree of the Israelites to collect their own straw. Some looked at it, they had four that represent the, the four people that were uh, that put them in exile over the years. But really, it comes from Exodus 6. The reason they have four cups is it reminds them of the four things that God promised them. Four things. Now, listen, they would delete, dilute these things. They would dilute these wines so they wouldn't be drunk. So they would be full of water, a little bit of wine. But they were reminded of the God's four promises of redemption. Exodus 6 says this. It says, "I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. So I will bring you out from under the yoke. Go back one. Go back one. I will bring you out from under the yoke. I will free you from being slaves. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, and I will take you as my own people. I will be your God." That's the four cups. That's what presented the God's promises to the people you may say, well, this is is enlightening. This has nothing to do with communion. It has everything to do with communion. Because what you would do is you would eat this meal usually in silence. You wouldn't break tradition. You would do it in a certain way. You would drink the four cups in a certain way. You would end with the last one. You would eat these things. You would recite things. But Jesus was there with his disciples on that night before he died, and he changed the whole thing. He changed the whole thing. It says in Mark 22, verse 22, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take it. Take it. This is my body. Can you imagine 1,400 years of the same way, and then somebody goes in and changes it? I mean, that would literally, uh, the only thing I can think of is, you have your, your Thanksgiving meal with your turkey, Okay? with your, all your stuffing and the potatoes and you think I'm going to go watch football afterwards and afterwards the person whose house is at it says okay Thanksgiving meal's over let's go have our Easter egg hunt you would look at him and go this is crazy you don't do that you go watch football right Jesus comes in and says take eat this is my body now you got to understand this is where Jesus comes in and totally changes the meal He said, take ye, this is my body. That's why this bread that we partake in, the body broken, the blood shed, has real significance. Now, it doesn't literally turn into the body and blood of Jesus. That's transubstantiation. Can't literally turn into it because he hasn't died yet. But it does have spiritual significance. He said, listen, from now on, the center, the center of this feast is going to be me, my death. It totally changed everything. And then there was the third cup of wine. It says, then after dinner, he took a cup and he gave thanks. And he gave it to them. He said, drink this. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Now, the disciples would know full well what a covenant was. A covenant was an unbreakable bond. That's the same kind of covenant that he made with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, same kind of covenant that he wasn't going to let them go that he was going to always take care of them that no matter how bad things got no matter how bad they got that Jesus was always going to be there that God was always going to show up it's significant because the next verse in this not going to be on the screen but he tells Peter you will fall away What happens the next day as Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's in there, and all these things happen, all the disciples, what happens? They just scatter, don't they? They disown him. What a great God he is. He says, listen, you're going to mess up, but I'm going to be there for you. What a rough deal it would be if our Christian faith rested on our own actions, right? The first leaders of the church, they went out and they kind of messed it up, didn't they? Peter denied him three times. Then 24 hours later. Our Christianity is not about our commitment to Christ. Understand it's about his commitment to us. That's the the true meaning of this. It's about what he's done for us. Has nothing to do with our own actions. That's why we all need fresh starts. Peter needed a fresh start And that's the covenant. He said, this is my covenant. This is a new covenant. I am going to make a relationship, a way that you can come right to me. That you don't have to do these sacrifices. You don't have to sacrifice something on the day of atonement. That you can come right to me. I'm going to pave the way. Because right now there's a separation. But I'm going to be the ultimate sacrifice. So you now can come to me. And that's exactly what Peter needed. He needed a fresh start. Because he denied Christ three times. And Jesus comes back and says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? What's the point? The point is that when, when it comes to communion, we all need fresh starts. Some people say, I, I don't know if I can come take communion today. I, I've done some stuff in my life. I actually remember meeting with a gentleman a while back who was, was really got caught in some, some addictions and behaviors. And he said, I, Jared, I don't know if I can show up for communion. I said, you need to be there for communion more than anybody else because it's a fresh start for you. That's why we take time every time we have communion to confess. We take time to confess so we can come in a a worthy manner. Communion is about a fresh start. It's not about our own actions or how good we've been to to come and, and partake in the communion. No, it's about fresh starts because of what Christ has done for us. He paved the way so that we can have a relationship with God. That's what communion is all about. So don't ever think that you haven't been good enough to take communion. Don't ever think that your actions or attitudes throughout the week haven't been good or the month to take communion. No, no, no. I tell you what, right now, I'm looking at you. If there's been some stuff in your life, communion is the place for a fresh start. That's where we come. Because we remember what Christ did on the cross. Not only did Christ make the focus of Passover about what he did, but... You look at verse 25. 25 is a kind of a strange verse. It says this. It says, truly I say to you, Jesus says, I will never drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. What's interesting about the four cups, and many theologians would say this well as well, it would appear, and Mark does, doesn't say it either, it says they sang songs and then they went out. It never says they drank the last cup. It would appear that Jesus left the fourth cup on the table. Unfinished meal, deliberately. We see in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. it says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, so that whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. If you go back to verse 25 of Mark, Truly I say, I will never drink it again, I will never drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day comes when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Folks, we are still part of that today. We are still in that today. God still has a plan for us. What a great celebration that's going to be. When you come and take communion, understand that it's about fresh starts. We're going to have a time of confession every month. We have a time of confession, so we come in a worthy manner. But understand it's about fresh starts. We're going to come in a moment. I'm going to ask Pastor Marcus and Brad to come up and prepare our hearts as we take communion together. But one of the things I want you to to remember when it comes to that last cup, maybe Jesus did leave it there. But he also says in John what? He says, John 14, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And I will come back and take you with me to be there with me also. You know the place I'm going. Jesus didn't say he wasn't going to ever drink the last cup. He said he was going to drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Isn't that fantastic to know? That when we come and celebrate communion, that we are still part of that here today. That we're still part of that great plan and purpose of God throughout history. That He didn't let the people, the Jewish people, the Israelites go. He didn't let the disciples go. He's not going to let us go either. Oh, I can't wait to get into heaven. I can't wait to be there. I can't wait because I, I do think that we're going to sit down and we're all going to sit down at that communion table and Jesus is, He's going to lift up that last cup. And he's going to say, now where did we leave off? <laughs> oh yeah, the last cup. He's going to say, welcome home. <clears throat> welcome home. I told you I wouldn't let you go. I told you I'd be with you every step of the way. I told you it was about my body and my blood. And that's why we're here. So when you come and celebrate communion here this evening, I want you to reflect on that. But like God still has a plan. God doesn't let us go. And communion is about fresh starts. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you that we can come to this table here. We can remember what you did on the cross. We thank you that you broke that tradition of having to do a feast or make sacrifices, Lord. That you paved the way with your body being broken, Lord. You are the ultimate sacrifice. No more is needed, Lord. You paid it all. You paid it all. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for the blood that was shed, your body broken. Lord, be with us as we come to the communion table here this evening as well as this weekend. Lord, help us to remember and reflect on that. That communion is about fresh starts. It's about coming together and remembering what you did for us on the cross. We thank you. Oh, Lord, we thank you. Be with us in the moments ahead. And I ask all this in your precious name. Amen.